Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You're listening to The Times. Did you read with Tim Montgomery? What have been the major political events of the season? My name is Tim Montgomery, comment editor of The Times, and this week I will be naming the five political moments of the last few months. And I'm joined by political columnist Daniel Finkelstein and Rachel Sylvester, and The Times' chief leader writer, Philip Collins. Now, in fifth place, I'm suggesting that the appointments of John Hayes and Linton Crosby matter. They mean that Cameron has addressed two of the weaknesses that have dogged his leadership since 2005. Linton Crosby means that there's an alpha male in charge of the campaign. There should be none of the message ill discipline that dogged the 2010 campaign. Less noticed but not unimportant was the decision to put John Hayes in charge of liaison with the parliamentary party. Now David Cameron's parliamentary adviser, a great organiser of backbench opinion, through John Hayes, David Cameron is now more connected with his backbench troops. So both of those two appointments have steadied the Tory ship and Cameron goes away for the summer recess in good mood. Daniel Finkelstein, what do you think of that as my number five Suggestion. Almost more important than the actual appointments is the realisation he had to do something and that he had to do something on parliamentary party relationships and on organising of the campaign. Because last time the election campaign was unorganised, disorganised, and they basically was big splits about what the party strategy should be that were reflected in a in a campaign strategy that, that was ineffective. And it was clearly in a lot of trouble with the parliamentary party. So he did have to grip both those issues. I think those are both pretty good appointments. The, the Linton Crosby thing, I think we'll have to see play out. It depends to some extent on whether he's just added another person into what will be messy or whether particularly George Osborne is willing to let uh, Linton to take the lead. And Rachel, you're writing a column for The Times when you, I think, worry a little bit about whether there's almost too many alpha males in the Cameron circle and whether there's a danger that he will neglect outreach to to women voters. Well, I think the interesting thing about Linton Crosby is, as you say, he's been brought in specifically because he's an alpha male. One number 10 person said he can swear at them like nobody else. He's got that sort of Aussie directness. And he's famous for creating dividing lines rather than, than sort of coming up with ideas. It's all about dog whistle politics, trying to sort of create a more aggressive tone, more macho tone. And you're already seeing that with some of the uh, handling of the NHS, immigration, welfare, all these things, more macho politics. And I think there's a danger for Cameron that that's going to alienate women voters. And Phil, how much do you think some of the questions about Linton Crosby's business dealings could come to haunt David Cameron? I think they have probably... Uh, seen the worst of them. Um, unless that comes back again, I think he'll get over it. 
Um, most people haven't registered that um, his company is lobbying for tobacco and that there's some obscure policy change that everyone has forgotten about. So I think they'll get through it. That said, it has the capacity to derail them if it does come back. But at the moment, it looks as though they'll get through it. And Linton Crosby is the only Australian in London at the moment who's doing well at anything. And I do think he will make a difference. And I think the difference he'll make is that he it signals that the Conservative campaign will be very negative. And I think there's two, there's really, you can unite the Conservative Party, just as you can unite the Labour Party, in hatred of the other lot. And that will be the thing around which they coalesce. Um, there's nothing else around which the Conservative Party can coalesce, because there are serious disagreements between different parts of it about what it should be for. But it can absolutely coalesce around the idea that we don't want Ed Miliband to be Prime Minister. Yeah, well, Linton isn't in charge of that much yet. So there is a big danger of over-interpretation. You know, everything that happens, uh, people, well, the Tory party will trust it more because they think Linton Crosby's in charge rather than modernisers and Steve Hilton and George Osborne. But other people will say, oh, you know, it's dog whistle politics because they think Linton's in charge. Uh, and actually, in fact, it's just that he's going to be in charge. Uh, so I think one of the things we need to be careful of, it's certainly in the next few months, is not ascribing lots of things to him that, in fact, have got nothing to do with him. Well, one of the other things Linton Crosby appears to have done in the time he's got there is to make the economy start to come right. <laughs> Continuing my political top of the pops and the countdown, in at number four, I don't think I should do this as a Radio 1 disc jockey, but is the Eastleigh by-election. And it was exactly the tonic that Nick Clegg and every Liberal Democrat needed. Despite the by-election being caused by the misbehaviour of Chris Hewn, and despite the last few days of the campaign being dominated by questions over Lord Renard's conduct, the Lib Dems held the seat. Suddenly, the Lib Dems started to believe that they could avoid meltdown at the next election and perhaps play the kingmaker role again in what remains a very tight electoral landscape. How important was it for the morale of the Liberal Democrat Party, that result? It showed that they can win locally, even if nationally they're not doing well in the polls. But I think, yet again, it was a warning for the Tory party because that was a campaign fought on the sort of traditional Tory issues of tax, immigration, crime, Europe, and it failed spectacularly. So it was a sort of bonus point for the Lib Dems, but also a warning for Tories and Linton Crosby not to pursue those strategies that have failed so many times in the past. Was it a sign that the Liberal Democrats could hold seats or was it just a typical by-election? The Lib Dems threw all of their resources at it. They win by-elections, but doesn't really tell us much about what will happen at the general election. I think both can be true and both are true. It was interesting at the local elections that in places where the Liberal Democrats held the parliamentary seat, they actually won the local election. They are really quite embedded in the places where they are. And we're in core vote politics, I think, with all three parties having retreated to their heartlands. And it's true of the Liberal Democrats. And they are quite bedded in there. And I, I've always thought they'll do better than the current polls say. I think they'll, they won't do as well as they did last time because they had a high watermark running a dual strategy of being neither of the other two. They can't do that any longer. But nevertheless, I think they will be okay. And I think they're very likely to be the kingmakers in the next election. I don't mean to suggest that coalition will have had no impact on them. It, it absolutely will. And it would have done had they been in coalition with the Labour Party as well. I just think they will hang on to more seats than the political class tends to think that they will. And, and, and Daniel, Lord Ashcroft did a poll actually the day after the Eastleigh by-election and asked them how voters voted on the by-election day, but said, how will you vote in the general election? And if they were telling the truth to that poll, the Tories would have won 
the Eastleigh by-election. Can can Tories take comfort from that? Well, they can take a bit of comfort, but I mean, people don't really know. I mean, the, the truth is that the Eastleigh was telling you two things. It was telling you the Liberal Democrats will hold a lot of seats, but it was also telling you that Liberal Democrats are going to lose a lot of seats, right? You know, you could, it wasn't actually that great a result, even though they held on to the seat. That was the best thing about it, and, and a good and important thing it was. But th- there is important that the political classes don't adjust from one ridiculous view, which is, you know, the Liberal Democrats will win nothing and their poll represents what they're actually going to score everywhere, uh, to the other ridiculous view, which is, you know, halving your vote and you're still going to keep all your seats. No, they will. They always do when they lose a lot of votes, lose a lot of seats, and they will. Also from The Times. Join me, Andy Zaltzman, for The Greatest Test, the best comedy quiz panel live show about the ashes in England this summer. Probably guaranteed. Tickets at thetimes.co.uk slash greatest test. My third suggestion of the big event, one of the big events of the political season, was Ed Ball's decision to largely accept the coalition spending envelope. And it means Labour has belatedly, and you've talked about how this has been too slow, but belatedly taken steps towards the kind of fiscal responsibility that the electorate demands of politicians in this era when there is no money left. But is Ed Balls ever going to be trusted with the nation's finances? Well, the operative word in that, I think, was belatedly. I think it Labour has got this habit now of arriving in inevitable places at the very last moment. And I, I think it will do the same on other issues like the a ref, EU referendum as well. For a long time, Labour has been told by the electorate, we don't trust you uh, economically. And they've resisted making any kind of move on their position, which was for a modest stimulus. And eventually, finally, they've, they've moved. I think it's very late. I think it's too late. There needs to be some large item that gives a flavour of the fact that you're prepared to cut. And at the moment, we've still got this idea that Labour will match the spending plans. But you ask specifically, what are you in favour of cutting? And no answer is forthcoming. Daniel Finkelstein, you wrote a very widely read column at the time saying that Labour had basically committed an intellectual surrender on the size of the state. They've surrendered the intellectual argument on on, on the deficit um, while still retaining two of the worst bits, which is the impression that they're going to keep on spending lots more money and not really being trusted on arguments about the past either. So both of those things undermine um, a position of a party that's trying to sort of surrendered the intellectual argument on whether or not we should be spending more. So, you know, I think if you were going to retain the position of arguing for more money all the time for everything, you'd probably better off not having surrendered the position uh, that the Tories are right on the basic hey, deficit. Surrender? I mean, you know, just simply say the facts have changed, that the, the stimulus was appropriate for a time when the economy was in recession, but now the economy appears to be growing. It's perfectly reasonable to alter that position. That's not an intellectual surrender. It's just a recognition we're in a different phase of economic growth. You're going to have to hold that thought for another podcast. I'm going to be unfair. We're going to have, I just want to bring... I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think his answer was very good. <laughs> Rachel, we've been uh, very sort of high-minded and look at the substance of Labour's position, but is it as simple that the electorate looks at Ed Balls and don't think that he is trusted to spend money? He has his fingerprints all over the last Labour government. Is How much of a problem is he and is there any chance that you think Ed Miliband might move him before the general election? I don't think he... 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style will move him and I think he can whether or not he can turn that image around will depend on the sort of devil in the detail if you like as Phil says it depends on what specific things he comes up with whether this looks like it's just a sort of political positioning thing or which he doesn't really believe but thinks he has to say or whether he comes up with enough detailed proposals for cuts that are difficult for Labour not just nice cuts that they find easy but things that are challenging for the Labour Party. Whether Ed Balls has the sort of courage and strength to do that will be the big test for him, I think. And just one word answer from Phil and Danny. Will Ed Balls still be Shadow Chancellor at the next general election? Yes. Yes. In at number two, UKIP's local election result and their general standing in opinion polls. Is for Tories the big challenge now as much about stopping Nigel Farage as beating Ed Miliband? No, I think they're in danger of sort of getting lured onto the rocks by the siren of UKIP, that there's this kind of comfort zone. It plays into the Tories' own comfort zone that you've got to talk about Europe, immigration, crime, all these sort of right-wing issues that UKIP's playing on. But I think there's a danger for them that that looks like UKIP, sort of backward-looking, and it's a fear of change, an anti-modernity party, really. And the Tories have got to stand out against that. Well, the reason David Cameron was so successful to begin with and appealed more widely beyond his party was that he was a sort of different, new, modern Tory leader. He wasn't sort of back to the past in the way that Nigel Farage is. And I think he's got to sort of contrast himself with that rather than sort of falling in with UKIP, if you like. One cabinet minister last week said to me that the trouble is the Tories have to reunite the centre-right, so they have to attract UKIP voters, and they have to do that for the next general election. But it undermines the strategic repositioning, long-term strategic repositioning of the Conservative Party, because UKIP's vote is old, it's not uh, necessarily a permanent phenomenon, and it doesn't help David Cameron and the Conservative Party go into the cities, the public sector workforce, Scotland, ethnic minorities, which is ultimately going to be the basis of a, a winning Conservative coalition. There is definitely a tension 
between what the Conservative Party needs to be and its immediate task of ensuring that it doesn't lose half of its vote to UKIP or you know be undermined by constant tension. Um, but I don't think uh, that speaking about crime or welfare reform in particular, immigration I think is a slightly different issue and talking about Europe too much is a slightly different issue. Uh, but I don't think those things are just about um, returning to being core vote parties. They are swing vote issues too. You do want to avoid looking pessimistic and backward looking. That's really vital. Um, and if you and and there is definitely a tension there with UKIP voters. But it's not I think with a bit of inventive, clever political leadership, and I'm just reading about uh, Rudy Giuliani, and you know he did succeed actually in managing to combine degree of social liberalism with re- with moving people from the Democrats to Republicans, become switcher voters, and deal with the issue of crime. Uh, you know, it wasn't entirely, it wasn't 100 percent successful, but he got himself a good position. There is a position out there for the right. You can appeal to that. Was a nice preview of your piece on uh, Detroit and New York that Time subscribers can read in the next uh, few days. Um, is UKIP also a threat to Labour, the sort of the blue-collar Heartland Labour vote? They've done very well in some Labour held by elections recently, or is it largely a phenomenon, a plague on David Cameron and the Tories? It is largely, but not exclusively, a Tory problem. There are places where UKIP can become a problem for Labour on questions of immigration uh, and on and crime and, and welfare. But those seats, those seats of that type that Labour hold, they tended to be contested by Liberal Democrats and they no longer will be. So in electoral terms for seats, they're not that big a problem, but they can erode the Labour share of the vote. But I do largely agree with what the others have said about this. It's interesting to think above UKIP, is it a seismic change or is it just a, the usual mid-cycle protest? There's one reason to suppose that it might be a little bit more than the usual process, which is to say the collapse of the Liberal Democrat vote. And that portion of the Lib Dem vote, which was people voting for not the government, the protest vote, which happens in general elections too, doesn't go, can't go to the Liberal Democrats now. And some of that has gone to UKIP. So it will mostly swing back. And the Conservatives need to be very careful about talking too directly to UKIP voters because they can assume most of it will come back. And the one piece of advice you give to Conservative Party again and again and again, and again and again they refuse to listen to you, is that Europe is the 14th most important issue in any general election. So shut up. Top of my uh, political um, top of the pops is the spending review. I'll stay with you, um, Phil Collins, on this. It was proof for me that there might still be life in the coalition. Despite a fractious few months beforehand, George Osborne and Dali Alexander agreed actually what is another very difficult round of spending cuts. Voters seem much more worried actually about the cost of living, the rising price of petrol and electricity and food and houses than cuts. And is perhaps the worst over for the coalition? And is this the great shift in this parliament that actually the two governing parties' fortunes will start to rise as we see more and more sprouting of those famous green shoots? Well, I never thought the coalition was in any serious danger. I thought from the beginning it would survive the full parliament. That said, it was an impressive political operation. There's no doubt that from a year before when it was a shambles and there was briefing all over the place and we had the budget weeks in advance and there's all sorts of falling out, it was very tight, it was very disciplined and into the bargain. This was an incredibly difficult spending round to deliver. When you looked at the raw numbers, when you've got protected 
departments like health uh, and, and the school's budget, you thought, where are they going to find this money from? It didn't look possible. But it was possible. They delivered it with great discipline on both sides. So I think they learned a lesson from the previous year. And I do think they, they are in pretty decent health, given the backdrop circumstances. But you've got to remember the backdrop circumstances are awful still. Cuts have only just happening in real life. To us who follow this and who write about it and who talk about it, cuts, we're almost bored of it. Cuts have been going on forever. Can't we talk about something else? In the actual world in which people live, they're only they're just announced. happening. They haven't been enacted. There, yeah. Yes, lots yeah. of them haven't been enacted at all yet. So it's not over yet, but politically, the discipline, I think, has returned a bit. Some of the lowest hanging fruit, to use that cliche expression, has mm. been plucked. And a few months ago, if we'd been meeting uh, Rachel Sylvester, we would have probably been talking about George Osborne's problems. And there was lots of front page stories urging from Tory backbenchers saying he needed to go. It seemed to be he was the proxy for the attacking David Cameron. But George Osborne seems to be back at, at his, uh, his peak. Is, is that right? Yeah, I think he the spending review showed his authority because he he fought and won battles with departmental ministers who were fighting quite a rearguard action, the so-called National Union of Ministers, to stop cuts going through in their budgets. But and I think he's it's it's beginning to look like his gamble is paying off, if you like, that the economy, if it starts to turn around, and the more it does that, the more his position will be strengthened. His position depends entirely, I think, on whether or not the gamble he took or the judgment he made, say it less emotively, was the right one. Um, and if he wins that argument, you know, he, he's safe. Is this the big fact of British politics now, Daniel Finkelstein? The economy has turned the corner and so has consequently the coalition's fortunes when the economy is the big issue in British well, politics. As yet, um, people's disposable income isn't going up and uh, we'll have to wait and see whether that happens in the last year of the parliament that will be absolutely decisive it always is in almost all elections but on the spending round uh, I think the most interesting figure in the spending round came afterwards and that was 9% reduction in crime despite the fact that police numbers are falling one of the assertions that's been made across the board, actually, in politics, in Labour, as well as in the Conservatives, but obviously it's key to the Conservatives, is it is possible to reduce public expenditure without reducing the quality of public services. It's too early to be sure that that's really what's going to happen. But if it does happen, if you are able to take really quite substantial amounts out of public services, uh, out of public spending, without people noticing a, a big deterioration in public services then I think that is a game-changing moment, not just in an electoral cycle, but over a longer period. Well, Phil, Phil Collins was screwing his face up slightly at that, but he's already had one final word, and I'm going to give Danny the final word on that. Before we close, I've given you my top five events of the political season. What have I missed? Who'd like to go first? Have I missed anything big? The only one you could possibly have missed is Ed Miliband taking on the trades unions, which I think was a sort of pivotal moment for him and his leadership. He picked a fight and he has to now win it, you know, so he's got to follow through. He's got to deal with the Electoral College, to deal with the leadership elections and the conference votes. He had a moment where he could have backed down and he didn't. He, he basically took the brave decision and I think that was impressive. And we'll see whether that makes a big difference, but I think it was a, a key moment. I think that's a very big moment, and I, I'll just—I won't repeat it, but I'll add instead 
the departure of David Miliband is an important moment, not in itself, but because it it highlights the most important decision the Labour Party has made in this whole parliamentary cycle, which is the election of its leader in 2010. And at that point on, a great deal is set in train. Uh, Danny Finkelson is nodding vigorously at that point. You agree with that, yes, uh, Danny? Um, but it's interesting that all the political events we've talked about were in the last few months. The political year, uh, which is a, a confirmation of what's true about politics, the peak end rule, you know, what matters is the peak of intensity, but also the end of the parliament. And so therefore, we've no way of knowing whether any of the things that we spoke about to finish on an optimistic note were actually central at all. Well, uh, Danny, Rachel, Phil, thank you so much. And thank you for my uh, producer, Alec Jakes, for putting this together. The politicians may be going off to their beaches or to their constituencies, of course, where they work very hard over the summer. But this podcast will continue. We'll be back next week with another selection of the best writing on The Times with some of our regular columnists. Thank you for listening and do subscribe to this podcast via iTunes. Cheerio. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.